0: So, um, that song said, keep your eyes above the water, or keep our heads above the water. And I wondered, do you remember that first time you ever went to a water park and saw those huge water slides? Do you remember? How old were you when you first went? And, you know, you looked up at them and you had all those stairs that you had to climb. Do you remember? And you climbed up all those stairs and then you looked down and you weren't sure what to expect. And the people behind you are like, go, go, and you had to go, right? Now, there's two kinds of water slides. There's either the ones that are the really high, super fast ones that you just like, you know, you just nail it. You go down super fast, right? And then there's the windy, curvy ones, right, that you get up there and you start going down. And there's like tunnels and you don't know what's coming next as you're going down the windy path, right? But the water keeps pushing you down the whole time, so you can't really stop. You're just, you're just going. It's like sink or swim, baby. You've got to go for it, Right? Okay, well, parenting is kind of like that, except instead of just sliding down, you're like on a bicycle, right? You're just like going for it with all that you're worth, and you can't stop. Life is kind of like that, actually. And we've been going through this series called Sticky Faith. And we've had a chance to talk a little bit in the last few weeks just about um, some of the opportunities that we have as parents and also as a faith community to really invest in the next generation. Research tells us that it's a really hard transition for especially students to go from high school to college, from kind of that, that zone of adolescence to adulthood, and keep their faith sticking. And so we've been really talking about these last few weeks how we as parents can invest invest in our kids, and how we as a church or faith community can be really intentional about investing in students' lives. Um, Whether we have kids at home, whether we have grandkids, or we're aunts and uncles, or whether we're just people that are interested in making sure that the next generation makes that transition, that we all can do that as a faith community. Um, So sticky faith parenting isn't just for parents. It's for all of us to kind of think about those things. And you know, whenever we start talking about the idea of investing, in other people's lives, it's kind of funny because we're starting to talk about what we want them to look like, but all of a sudden this mirror pops up, and it helps us look at who we are and who we've become. And so as we've gone through these last few weeks, I know it has been something that's been super challenging to me personally um, about who I am as a person that God created me to be, and it has begun to affect my parenting. I happen to be a parent of four kids that are six and under, so we have a lot of fun at home, and we do not get much sleep, but um, we have a blast, and I've seen in the last few weeks as I've been really thinking about these, and my husband and I have been talking about these principles, and we've been really starting to change some of the behaviors in our own household to help us try and reflect some of these models in our kids, even though ours are still pretty little. But, you know, any relationship, um, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a sibling relationship, um, but maybe parenting in particular can bring out the best And the worst in us, right? Have you ever noticed how you can kind of have a day where you go from being playful and fun and high energy and then within the same day you can become grumpy and impatient and get a little cranky, right? Sometimes it's not even just within the same day. It can be within the same hour, right? Right? sometimes within the same minute, right? What is that that we can go from being this one person and then something happens that just sets us off and we get a little cranky and get a little impatient with one another? I remember um, a few years ago that um, we were working on potty training, some of our kids, and, you know, we were just going through it and through it, and and my kid finally got it. I was so excited. There was lots of, you know, high fives and rewards and affirmation. It was awesome. We were so proud of this child for getting through this. But then this child decided they didn't want to flush the toilet ever. And it just made me so irritated. I'm like, how can we have done all this work and then we're here at this point? And I remember one time walking into the bathroom and I was just so frustrated with this kid. And I called that kid in and I said to that kid in the best mean mommy voice I had, if you don't start flushing this toilet, you're not going to get to use the potty. Yeah, I won mother of the year for that one, right? They stared at me with eyes really big and they said, Okay, mommy, okay. So, you know, we have opportunities um, all through life, whether it's parenting or the ways that we interact with each other at work or with our family, um, with our neighbors when we get cranky or frustrated, um, in how we interact with them in our words. Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy 4 through 2. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So scripture kind of gives us this this pathway that we're supposed to follow, that we're supposed to be able to have this opportunity to, to challenge and correct and rebuke and encourage, but all the time with patience and careful instruction. You know, so much about the parenting life, and really life in general, whether we're parents or not, is about patience and careful instruction. I mean, it is easy for us to make just make sweeping statements and expect people to understand what we're talking about or get what we're saying without giving them an explanation or seeing kind of the back end of why we said what we said. Do you remember way back in the day when you were in math class and your math teacher said these three words? Show your work. Do you remember that? And the cool thing about math teachers that said that is usually even if you got the math problem wrong, you got partial credit if you... Showed your work, right? Because it was all in the process. It was how you arrived at your conclusion that became important in the math process for those math teachers. And so, um, you know, when we talk about conversations with our kids, or really conversations with anyone, it can really benefit them if we help them understand why we get to those conclusions. Um, That words that have an explanation behind them, we don't just say, do this. Because, you know, in the famous words of maybe your mom and dad is my mom and dad, because I said so, right? But we give them an explanation of why this is important and why we do it this way in our family and why we talk about these things. Like, it's not just about yelling, let's go to church, we go to church. But with patience and careful instruction, we tell them why we go to church, why it's a big deal for our family, why it's something that we're committed to and why we invest in. Now, we've already talked a lot in this series about the powerful model of our actions, that kids are constantly watching what we do, and they want to model our actions, and our words are going to be just as important. We're going to talk tonight about some of the ways that we can do that with our words, Um, keeping in mind that actions are always um, being watched and modeled. I was reminded of that. Even just last night, I was sitting there, and my youngest two are one and two and a half, and so I was rocking my baby, trying to put her to sleep in her room. And her brother's room is right across the hall from me. And I had not closed both of their doors, which I should have. And her brother, as I was in the room quietly trying to put the baby to sleep, he popped out out of his bed and he peeked his head around the door. And he's like, hi, mommy. I'm like, get in bed, get in bed. I'm trying to be quiet, right, with a mean mommy voice to try and encourage him to get back in bed. And he's like, starts throwing things at me, and he's like hitting on his baby gate that I trap him in his room so he can't get out, right? And so I'm like, you know, and every time I talk, the baby wakes up. And so I'm trying to keep her quiet, and I just start going like this to get back in bed, right? And so he looks at me, he makes mean mommy face, and he starts going... Because that's all he knew. He was doing exactly what I was doing. He was modeling the same kind of behavior that I was doing to him. And we have a tendency to do this not only when we're two and a half, but we do this as grown-ups too, right? Have you ever noticed that um, if someone in your neighborhood gets the cool new Christmas ornament from Costco, that they start springing up all over your neighborhood, that everyone gets the snow globe or the snowman or that spider thing that was really popular at Halloween this year that was on everybody's roofs? Did you guys see that, that Costco had? Everybody starts wanting to get the same thing and model the same kind of behavior. And this can be good or bad. I mean, if I decide that I want to lose some weight and get healthier, then I would pick a role model and do what they do. I would eat the way that they eat or I would exercise the way that they exercise. I would model my behavior after someone who I see exhibiting that behavior. So our actions as we model those things can be really beneficial, either for good or for bad. And it's something that we have a tendency to do Um, something that we have a tendency to do all since since we were kids all the way to adulthood. And this is um, why it's so important, you know, the things that we listen to and the things that we hear, what we internalize. Because all of a sudden as we start to hear those things and think about those things, we start to kind of process internally, well, if it's okay for them... Is it okay for me? And even if we haven't consciously made that decision, as soon as we start to hear it, it's easy to start to repeat those things. Um, And so our behavior and our words matter. That's one of the reasons that, you know, when something like Fifty Shades of Grey comes out, like it came out this weekend, um, that it can be so dangerous to our culture. Because some of those behaviors and words and actions and thoughts, when we watch them or see them, they start to get trapped in our head. And then we start to think, well, if it's okay for them, is it okay for me? And it starts to change who we are, and that becomes dangerous. So it's really important that we fill our hearts and our minds with the behaviors that Scripture talks about are pure and right and good and lovely. Think on these things. And those are the things that begin to shape us and impact our family and us as role models. So tonight we're going to look at a few really practical examples of how we can parent or really even just live out our faith, whether you're in the parenting stages or not, um, of how we can invest in that next generation. And you know, the older I get, the more I just appreciate people that are kind. I appreciate kindness in society because it seems like it's so rare these days to find people who interact in just kind and gracious ways. Um, Don't you love random acts of kindness? I don't know if you've ever been on Facebook and someone pops up or posts that they were at Starbucks and the person in front of them paid for their drink and it just makes that person's day, right? They're so excited about that and they post it everywhere. Or even just an intentional act of kindness. Making that decision to interact with someone kindly, even if they have been a jerk to you. Even if they have interacted with you in a way that is not gracious and not kind. We have a choice in how we respond to that. And our natural tendency, our natural behavior is usually to respond and be defensive or push back or get angry and get frustrated. And so this is when we talk about the idea of parenting or even just living beyond ourselves, beyond our natural ability, that our natural tendencies to respond in situations like this aren't always filled with grace and kindness and the things of Christ, which is why we need God so desperately in parenting, which is why we need God so desperately for us to live. So I want to look at a little bit of um, tonight, just one example of how to raise kind kids. Now scripture tells us in Colossians 3.12, therefore as God's chosen people, okay, so he's talking to believers here. He's talking to to men and women who have chosen to be God's people, who have chosen to walk with Christ. He says, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Now, did you notice how this verse said to clothe yourself in these things? Now, we don't naturally wake up and have clothes on, right? We have to do that. We have to clothe ourselves. We have to put them on. When you wake up, you brush your teeth, you grab some coffee, and you have to put your clothes on. And so this is the same kind of thing that scripture is talking about, that in order to be intentional about being a kind person and raising kind kids, that we have to add something to our natural interaction with them. We have to add something to our natural language exchange. We have to clothe ourselves with this idea of kindness, that it isn't something that's naturally inherent in our being. That kindness, along with these other qualities of compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience, is something that Christ puts onto us, that Christ clothes us with. So, you know, I tell my kids all the time, be kind to each other. Be kind to your brother. Be kind to your sister. But I just started thinking this week, do they know what that looks like? Do they know what that means? Do they have a mom who models that for them? Do they have people in their lives that model what kindness looks like? So here's some questions that may or may not be helpful to you in your approach of trying to be kind, whether that is raising this in your kids or maybe even in your marriage or in your family or at work. There's all kinds of opportunities for us to be kind. These are a few questions to ask your kids in the middle of a situation. How would that make your brother or sister feel? How would that make that friend feel if, if you said that or you did that to them? How do you think that would make me feel if you did that to me? Look at his face. Look at her face. What do you think she or he's thinking about right now? Is she maybe feeling lonely or left out? What else might he or she be upset about? And helping them work their way through understanding the emotions behind what happens when something happens and they say something ugly or hurtful or angry. And we even as adults do this. If I say something to my husband out of spite or anger, well, you always do that. It's not really helpful in the situation. And if I can um, kind of get behind what the emotion of that situation is, it goes much further than just making statements that are unkind. Or even when fighting, ask these kinds of things. Do we need to fight about this? Is it necessary? Is this the only way that we can figure out this solution? Is it worth being right or even just winning? This is a big one because we really like to be right. We really like to win. And we need to teach kids, we need to teach all of us, that a relationship is way more about than being just right or just winning that conversation. And then another one: Did I do something that hurt their feelings just to be cool? Right? Am I just trying to look good? Am I just trying to be cool? Is that why I participated in this behavior? And then finally, to ask others: um, You know, if something happens and there's a situation that maybe your kid can influence some kindness in, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything you need? Hey, do you want to come play? Do you want to come hang out? Do you want to go to lunch? Do you want to go to coffee? Do you want to go do something? Just teaching these kind of behaviors are things that don't necessarily come naturally, that we need to model with each other, that, you know, if you and I are in a disagreement, that we can interact with these ways in kindness, and I can model that for my kids, and I can encourage that kind of behavior to clothe them with kindness. Because kindness takes us beyond ourselves it takes us beyond ourselves when we're tired when we're frustrated and it really becomes a true testing if god is reflected in us because it takes us beyond our sinful hate our sinful nature that is inherent in us and it brings out the things of christ parenting beyond ourselves means that we trust our kids to god and that is so super hard it's hard for me but i find it much easier to do things like just pray actually kind of selfishly, like I say I'm praying for my kids, but I pray for their protection, I pray for their health, I pray for their safety, and those things are all important, but those are really selfish prayers for me. Those are prayers that I want my kids to be okay for me, for our family, and I was really challenged this week to pray beyond my own selfishness. To pray beyond just my own prayers and to pray for God's purpose in their life. To pray for God's purpose in our spouse's life. To pray for God's purpose in our work environment or with our friendships. Do we pray that prayer beyond our own selfish prayers? Do you remember the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? We often call it the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6, 8 through 9. And part of it says like this, this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name glory to your name your kingdom come your will be done your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven and so the challenge becomes do we pray in a way that goes beyond our own selfish prayers and pray for what god has for that person for that child for that Person's future? Do we pray in a way that God, we want your will, regardless of how it impacts me? Because your will is more important than my priorities and my vision and my selfish needs. Do we release our kids into God's care? Do we release our marriages? Do we release our friendships? Do we release our businesses into God's care and God's purpose for their lives? See, praying for our kids in this way, it challenges us from parenting from beyond our own abilities to giving them over to God and letting God do something beyond what we can even do. So here's a couple of suggestions for how we can pray. We pray that God gets glory in and through our children's lives, the lives that they lead, that God would be glorified in all that they do. We pray that God would show himself clearly and beautifully in the decisions that they make. I have, found my kid, I have found myself beginning to pray that God will help them to make wise decisions. Because they're going to be exposed to ugly stuff, and I can't stop that. But I can pray that God will be honored in the decisions they make. And that God gifts them with a passion and a talent that will, they will willingly leverage to further his kingdom. That as their talents come forth, that God will use those to bless and multiply his kingdom. You see, what would it look like if we not only prayed for our kids, but we pray that with them? if we prayed those kinds of prayers with our kids, in front of our kids, and they began to hear those, that those are the kinds of things that mom and dad, those are the kinds of things that grandma and grandpa, those are the kinds of things that is my aunt and uncle, those are the things that my church community, those adults who know my name, these are the things that they pray for me. These are the things that they invest and they want in my lives. And all of a sudden, as they start to have a community of adults who have invested in them, who know their names and pray for them, God's purpose, God's vision God's plans, God's wisdom they start to believe that they start to pray for that they start to seek that they start to look for that And all of a sudden, we begin to raise up a generation that doesn't have selfish prayers, that want to pray passionately and fervently for big things in God's kingdom, and have ears and hearts and spirits attuned to the things of God. And that will change how our kids pray. That will help faith become very sticky to them as they believe those things to be true. Uh, Yesterday, my oldest two kids were coloring at the table for Valentine's Day. I'd given them some hearts and let them color on them in the afternoon. And these were kind of wax-based hearts, and so their regular markers did not work really well on them. So I gave them a couple of permanent markers, and I said, you guys, be very, very careful with these. Do not color on anything else but the hearts, okay? They're like, okay, mommy, we got it. Well, I was working on some things, and pretty soon one of my kids came over to me and said, Mommy, I'm really sorry, but I colored on the table. And, um, you know, I looked at my kid and I first thought, wow, he came and apologized to me. That's awesome. But I was still frustrated. He had colored on my dining room table and this was not going to come out. So I went over there and I took the marker away and I said, sweetie, you are done with this marker. You colored on the table and mommy said that you could not. All the while thinking, I'm a really bad mom. I'm the one who gave him this marker. I should not have given him this marker. I should have put newspaper down on the table. I'm a really bad mom. I really should have put newspaper down on the table. Um, And so, you know, this whole time, I was so frustrated with the situation. Um, I looked at the table, and I'm like, well, there it is. Every time someone comes over, it's going to scream at them, what a terrible mom I am that I gave my child this marker. And we kind of went on with the day, and they went on to stuff, and it wasn't a a huge deal. Um, And later... After we'd had dinner, I was cleaning the table off and I was just kind of scrubbing the table down with water and this permanent marker came off. With just water. I'm like, okay, is this a minor miracle of God? You know, I'm like, what just happened here? Or maybe it was just the cheap markers that I bought at the 99 cent store. I don't know which it was, but I'm going to go with the miracle of God. And it just came off and it was just like, God was like, see, Lisa, you didn't need to make such a big deal about this. And you know, the kids were fine. They hadn't thought about it. It wasn't a big moment. And I just felt God convict me in my spirit. say, you need to go apologize to Gus. You need to go apologize to your kid. And it would have been so easy to just let it go. Like no big deal. Right? and they were all in the chaos of getting ready for bed when you have four kids under 6 getting ready for bed is great chaos so i went back there and i said guess honey you know what mommy needs to apologize to you and they all stopped you're like, whoa, what's happening here? This is a weird moment. And I just got down to him and I said, honey, I am so sorry that I got so mad at you when you colored on the table because you know what? That marker just came out and I told you it wouldn't come out and it did. And I am really sorry um, that I, you know, I kind of explained that whole thing to you. And he just looked at me and he gave me the biggest hug and he went, hooray! And that was it. He was just done with it. And I just thought, I could have missed that. I totally could have missed that moment by not apologizing to my own kid. And I think something happened there because it made me want to apologize to my kids more. And it also, I think, modeled to my kids that if we can create an environment in our family where it's safe to do apologies, that all of a sudden we've got something cool that's happening there. That all of a sudden a church that says one of the most important things that sets you apart in this world is God's forgiveness in your life and your call to forgive one another in a culture that's really bad with conflict resolution, in a conflict that's really bad with saying, I screwed up, I'm sorry, in a culture that's really bad and saying, I forgive you. All of a sudden, if we can start to model that in our families, if we can model that in our marriages and in our parenting all of a sudden, the church is making faith very sticky. It's something that is gonna stick with our kids, and that's something that's gonna stick with parents and grandparents and our whole faith community. So, how do we say that we're sorry to our kids? Let's look at this scripture. First John 1:9 says: if we confess our sins, God is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God has modeled this beautiful thing to us that we're often not very good at. So if we want to create homes that just drip with grace. If we want to be the kind of men and women that model this kind of grace. We need to be quick to apologize. To recognize that it's not just kids that screw up. But it's grownups that screw up sometimes too. And we, when we confess our mistakes to our kids and we ask them to forgive us, it begins to build this culture in our family. And it begins our kids to help to recognize a closeness with the grownups and with God's grace and God's mercy. So if you want your home to be a hub of grace, here's a few ideas to try. One, keep your personal antenna up for times when your own fatigue causes you to speak unkindly to your kids. Have you ever noticed that it's just when you're tired that you start to be like, Be quiet! Stop doing that! Go away! Whatever it is that you say to your kids when you're just cranky, when are those times that you're most tired? And how can you shore yourself up so that you can invest words of kindness or apologize to your kids during those times? Number two, when you feel like you've wronged your kids, tell them that you're sorry and ask for their forgiveness. If you are not in a habit of doing this, it will probably blow your kids away (laughs) the first time that you tell them that you are sorry in a good way, in a really good way. And number three, make sure that you are quick to extend forgiveness to your kids when they need to do the same. Um, You know, when... um, when your kids come and they need to say that they're sorry, that you say, I forgive you for what you have done. That we don't just say, it's okay. All right, don't let it happen again. All right, next time. It's so easy to say those things rather than turn those moments into, I forgive you for what you've done. Because I love you. God has forgiven us, and I forgive you. To make that a faith moment in your home. Saying our sorry helps to teach our kids, our spouse, our coworkers, our friends, our world. That we are a people that make mistakes. It teaches us all that we need God. And it shows us that grace and mercy and forgiveness are valuable. That they are life-giving, and that they are worth holding on to. So as we finish up our Sticky Faith Parenting series, we're going to end with a reminder to all of us to take the long view. How do we take the long view in this parenting journey, and this thing we call life? Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says this, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. See, parenting is is raising up these people that God has entrusted to you and raising them up to be as well-adjusted human beings as we can manage to to figure out how to bring up. And someday, those kids are going to pack their suitcase and be ready to move on out of your house. And the question is, what are they going to put in their suitcase? What is going to be important to them? What are the things that you have taught in your household are they going to be such self-sufficient, functioning adolescents that you have not had time for that they say, I got this. No worries. Or are they going to say, well, what do you think, Mom and Dad? What are some things that I should invest in taking my, in my suitcase? What are those things that are invaluable to our family? Is it a family process, or are they just ready to go out on their own? What matters most is who your kid is going to be when they're 30, That matters more than who they are at 6 or 12 or even 20. We've got a lot of work to do in the midst of that. But for 20 years, we invest and we invest and we invest parenting. But just remember, for 40 or 60 years, you're going to have the opportunity to be friends with your kids. And the long view is what matters, that we build into those relationships so that we can be friends with our kids for the long haul so that the end view is that we can be friends with them. Parenting is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And pacing is what matters most. It's a lifelong expression of nurturing and loving and investing in those people. And parents, most of all, it's important we just stay in the game. We just have to stay in the game and keep playing, keep investing, keep rooting for our kids, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard is when we have to hang in there. We have to show up. And the research from the Sticky Faith Project that we've been going through these last few weeks shows that it is vital to passing on our faith to the next generation because there are so many feelings of abandonment and isolation and performance-drivenness in our society, and it's taken a massive toll on kids. And it's not just the fringe kids that experience this. This is a cultural phenomenon that we are raising people that are fast-paced, that are feeling fragmented, an externally focused culture. And because of all things, these all things, kids have really lost kind of a social capital in the adults and the investment in their lives. They are starved for adults to pour into their lives, to invest in them, to know who they are, to really talk about if this God thing is real. Is this God thing real? Does it really work? And so our job as parents and as a faith community is to really find that balance between tough love and, and to balance it out with just encouragement, with life-giving words. And that is why we need Jesus as parents. That is why just being a parent increases your prayer life, because you're like, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me on this one. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know, you may or may not have great... Parents as models. I hope you do. But if you don't have a great parent as a model, it's okay. You do not have to be the same kind of parent that you had. You have Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes who we are. Jesus changes the kind of man or woman that you are. Jesus changes the kind of marriage you can have. Jesus changes the kind of parent that you can be. Jesus changes everything. And if there's one thing that's important through all of this in Sticky Faith Parenting is that we have Jesus. And because of this, we have the opportunity to raise up the next generation differently with a faith that is sticky with a faith that can be invested in. You know, someone was telling me about a father who had a 17-year-old daughter who had just kind of gone off the deep end. She'd walked away from her faith. She was not wanting to invest in her family, in her friends, in school. She was just in trouble all the time. And this friend said to this dad, Don't, aren't you just disgusted with her behavior? Don't you just like want to walk away? How do you keep hanging in there with her when she has just treated you like this, when she has done the kind of things she has done, when she's made those kind of choices? And that dad just looked at his friend and he said, come with me. And he took him up, this friend up to his office and he has this little frame saying on his desk. And this is what it said. I have a daughter, 17. When she lies to me, I love her. When she disappoints me, I love her. When she doesn't live up to my expectations, I love her. Now I can understand how when she pleases you and obeys you and fulfills you, you say, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's when she does none of these things. I love her. And for a very simple reason. I'm her father and she's my child. You see, and this is what God does for us. God never walks away from us. Even when we screw up. And this is the kind of security that I need in my life. This is the kind of security that our kids need in their lives. So though our humanity protests, though our emotions resist, What we must know that this, that our children are forever bound to us, but they are never really ours. They are always God's. So our call is to leave our kids in Jesus' care, that we stick with Jesus always, that we trust Jesus to stick with you and your family always, that Jesus will stick with us even as we encourage sticky faith in our kids. So let me just close with Ephesians twenty twenty one. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.